0: We talk about teachers, we talk about students, but what is it like running an entire school, being the one at the helm of a large, fast-moving ship? High school principal Melinda Murphy is going to tell us all about it. Coming up next on Prep Hour. Hi, I'm Peter, I'm Marcus, and I'm Mark, and you're listening to Prep Hour. Hi, everyone. We're back and we're excited for our first interview after a long, unexpected break. Today, we are joined by Melinda Murphy, principal of Highland High School in Gilbert, Arizona. Melinda, thanks for joining us.
1: You're very welcome. I'm glad I could be here.
0: Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background in education.
1: Um, so I have spent 28 years in education. Um, I've taught in private and public settings, um, everywhere from seventh grade English, which was terrible, um, all the way up through senior English. So I spent about 18 years teaching English classes. Um, I've been an administrator for 12 and I've spent the last eight here at Highland.
2: All right, Melinda. So what, um, what is the best part about your job as a principal? And, and also what is the most difficult part about your job?
1: Oh, the best part is absolutely um, kids, whether it's watching them do what they love. Last night I was at the orchestra Valentine's um, dinner and these kids playing music was just enough to honestly make me teary, which doesn't take much, but they, you can just see the passion in them for the things that they love to do. Um, Watching them succeed and then honestly the ability to help them in ways that other people can't. Um, that's absolutely the best part of it. The most difficult part, parents <laughs> can be really difficult.
0: <laughs> At least you're um, honest.
1: <laughs> I know, right? And I don't mean that in, it's just that sometimes we don't see eye to eye and I try to tell myself like, okay, th- this they're, they're fighting for their babies, right? And I have four babies of my own that I will fight for. So I try to kind of put myself in their shoes when I'm dealing with a difficult parent. Um, I would say probably on par with that is... Just getting everyone to share the vision of what we have the potential to be. How do we move everybody to see what is possible?
2: And just for reference, uh, for anybody listening, the school that Melinda runs is a massive school with a huge staff. So how many people do we have on staff?
1: Um, We have 137 teachers and then probably this year about 80 more staff members. So we run usually between about 210 and 220 staff members. And our enrollment currently is sitting right about 3150.
2: There's a lot of people to get going on to the A lot of page.
1: people, yeah.
3: And Highland's been open, what, since 94, 95, right, roughly? Um, the school opened 94? in
1: 93, and I think our first graduating class was in 95 because there was a lag.
3: And I, I don't think the school is, it's always been two, around 2,000 to 3,000 students, right? Yes, always. Okay. And, that's, and that's amazing in an area that is matured like this. Yeah. Okay, so kind of back with Marcus's question a little bit, and obviously, over eight years, and obviously, you spent time uh, as a vice principal in another high school in the district as well. What's the most important lesson you've learned? And you're smiling when you say that as an administrator.
1: <laughs> uh, there's so many. I was. It's so funny you asked this question. I was telling my husband on the way to work this morning. Like, there are so many things that I've learned. Like, it. It's been. It's been a real learning experience in many ways. But probably my biggest one is to listen. Don't assume. Like when I first started, I would start listening to a conversation, and I would kind of assume where it was going. And so I'd anticipate, okay, what does my response need to be? I think as i've as I kind of come to know my role more, honestly, it's easier to just listen and see where somebody's taking a conversation rather than anticipate what I want the outcome to be. Um, and those have been some of my most valuable conversations when I've just stepped back and let people tell me, what they see or what they're frustrated with or what they're excited about. Um, but that's the big one is I'm like, I'm a talker. I'll chat all day long. And so putting myself in a place to just be open to hearing what people have to say.
3: And I'm going to jump in because you, you said something, I don't know where you said, I don't know if it was here or at Desert Ridge, but on their never forget you saying it. And I don't, and I think you and I talked about this, Marcus, once you said, you never know, where someone's coming from and what their day was is like. Oh, yes. Yeah, and you sit and I never and that that applies to students as well. Yes. And I think as a leader, that's really important. It goes back to the empathy and listening and everything else.
1: Yeah, one of the things I'm most proud of as a building principal is I uh, there are uh, there are very few people on my staff I don't know something about and it really helps when somebody's coming in or when I'm dealing with a parent who's frustrated with a teacher. I, I have the teacher's side in terms of what they're carrying around with them. Because we don't walk into a job and just leave our personal lives completely outside, right? Like those things that happen that we care deeply about impact what happens to us during the day, how we interact with people. And I think that's incredibly important to remember is that we are in the business of people above all else. And that goes for our students. It goes for our staff it, and all the way up. That's, that is literally the core of our business is people.
0: So how do you make a relationship? Because you're saying you have over 200 staff that you have on this campus. How do you go about as a principal making sure that you see every one of them? One of the <clears throat> problems I had at, at, at my new job was I was I was really upset because our dean never ever stopped by to say hi or hey, wh- who are you? <laughs> how do you you know what 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 is your process and? And making is, those connections.
1: That is the process. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny. Sometimes I'll have people in my office and we'll be talking about like we're doing a pre-conference or a post-conference on an observation and I'll spend more time m- maybe this isn't a great leadership in the world of education, but I think it pays off. Um, I'll spend more time talking to them about like, what do you, you know, what do you like to do or how are your kids or do you have kids or they'll share like a little like Like you know, I went to this concert last weekend, and I'll say, "Well, you know, who did you see? What was it like?" Oh, I've been there. I try to find something to connect with, but part of it is taking the time to set aside the business of business and get to know people as people. Um, And then when we have to talk business, I find that there's more trust between us because they know I know them, right? Mm -hmm. And it also allows me, and this is a huge one, that a friend of mine told me, honestly, on my very first day of work, which was assume positive intent, right? And I think that's huge is that if I can if I know you, I I have the ability to assume there was positive intent there. The outcome may not have always been what we want it to be. And I would say that for myself as well. But there's always I think people typically are intending something positive to be the outcome of an action they take, right? Yeah. But when you know people, it's just it's easier. It's very much easier. But sometimes it means that the business gets set aside for yeah. the for the relationship piece.
0: Which I think is okay. I I do too. So my wife is a German and we lived in Germany for a while. And I remember in business, they always made fun of Americans and they didn't trust Americans in business because when you met with a, an American business person, they would just get right to business. Mm. And Europeans are like, well, let's have a cup of coffee. If you smoke, let's smoke. Let's talk, you know, for half an hour 40 minutes and talk about our families and talk about this and that and the other thing and just kind of they wanted to get to know you first whereas you know americans they seem to be just very yeah you know let's just get to the point we yeah. got to get to our next we got to a flight and we got to get out of here so yeah,
1: yeah very much so i made the mistake the other day of walking into a meeting and there was i had a question like literally right in the front of my brain and i walked in with the question and somebody said oh and good morning to you and i was like oh yeah, I don't do it this way. Good morning. How are all of you? Okay, here's my question, right? Like, yeah. just being reminded that, that that is the priority. We we yeah. can't do this job without looking at our students as people. And I think that the same is true with leaders. Like, we should look at our teachers and our staff members as people yeah. primarily.
0: So, I guess, on to another question that we had for you was, so how do you do that? You do that at a personal level, but how do you build culture... At a school level, especially when you have so many nowadays, you have so many teachers filtering in and out of such a large school. And I know when I w- worked here, we had some discussions about, you know, how to get the teachers to kind of come together, come together and, you know, talk to each other and meet and do things like that. And it, 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 it seemed to be kind of a bust. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'm, I'll blame the teachers on that one, but how do you, how do you, how do you do that?
1: Um, I think there's a couple things you can do formally and informally is what I've learned. First of all, I think that it's only a bust for the people who wouldn't have been part of whatever you're planning anyway, right? Like um, Marcus here kind of puts together along with a couple other teachers, these ridiculously over the top silly emails whenever there's a happy hour or something fun to go do, Mm -hmm. right? But I'm also convinced that The people who want to do that are going to come along. The important thing is that there's an opportunity, right? So you either take the opportunity or you don't, but we've at least offered the opportunity for people to get together socially. Um, We've done some tailgates. We've done some happy hours. We invite people to do this, that, and the other. Um, So those are kind of some formal things. I think informally, it's asking people to reach out to the new people and bring them into the fold and... um, teach them what you know what the highland way is how we do things what's important to us um from the leadership perspective, when I structure – like if I'm structuring a professional development, one of the things we did this year was um, as we've done trainings, we've mixed up those trainings intentionally. We sat down with the entire staff lifts, list, and we tried to make sure that all the English teachers were, weren't were packed in one room. We even went so far to say, okay, these are the English teachers that are friends. They need to make new friends, and we split them up, which was wildly unpopular, <laughs> but um, – As people have gotten into those groups, they now know people outside of their department, right? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you kind of have to force the issue. Um, I think that for me, one of the things I had to ask myself is, like, let's define what culture is. Like, what does that mean? Because I beat myself up constantly for the first several years. I kept hearing morale is low, morale is low. And I'm like, well, is morale really low Or are we telling ourselves morale is low, so morale is low? Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. Um, And that's that's an for me that's an ongoing struggle because I feel I I shouldn't, but I do. I feel responsible for the happiness level of the people in my building, and I've also I've also read enough Brene Brown now that I also know that I can't be responsible for all the emotions in the building. All I can do is my best to create the kind of climate that people can come and do a good job and feel successful in that work and be treated, I hope like professionals. So,
2: so I guess that kind of leads us to, um, one of your responsibilities as a, um, leader, excuse me, as a building leader, um, is to train teachers and help teachers maximize their potential. So how do you go about doing that?
1: Oh, I think that's a great segue. Um, you (laughs) treat them like professionals. Um, i I think that for a long time, the climate of education has become increasingly difficult, not internally necessarily, but from the outside. The expectations that are placed on teachers is just tremendously heavy. Um, so I remind them, I try to at least that we always have room to grow. So the workplace is in a stagnant place, right? And we know that looking outside the world of education, the business world has changed tremendously. The whole, Our whole societal structure, I think, is in the middle of a massive change. And I feel like as educators, we need to be open to those changes. So I fight a lot of times the idea that you've been doing this for 15 or 20 years and you think you know it, you're doing. But the reality is that we've learned about learning, right? And that should be reflected in our classrooms. Um, on top of that, kid culture has changed tremendously. Um, in the last 10 years, I'll blame it on cell phones, maybe I shouldn't. But our kids have the ability to have these intensely separate lives from adults. And that means the adults have to work very hard to build connections with kids. And the adults have to stay relevant because kid culture has evolved so rapidly. It's very hard to stay up on, you know, what's on trend and what's important to kids. And if we don't know those things, it's very hard to make connections with them to have to make learning happen mm-hmm. within our classrooms. Right. Um, so I, I think that's I think those messages are really important to teachers like You know, stay relevant, stay current, make connections with kids, be open, be learners yourselves. Um, But I try really hard to treat people like professionals, right?
0: Yeah, because I think that's, I think that's a lot of teachers struggle with that is they don't feel like they're respected or trusted or, and and I don't think that comes from, I don't know, some blame, you know, the higher ups or administration. I think a lot of it comes from the community. Outside I think. it comes from outside. And so yes. we just, you know, we project all of that onto well whoever's in charge. Yeah. So
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that's absolutely true. And we can't control the messages in the community. All we get to control is what happens within the building, right? And so I just remind teachers, do your very best in the classroom. That's all I'll ever ask of you.
3: Going back to your point. And it's a question we have over the last 10 years, you mentioned, Melinda, and I thought the last 20, and our question about the last 20 years, I was listening to a podcast today and they were talking about this generation that was born from in 2001 who are 18, 19 years old and the turmoil they've endured as students. And you start touching on cell phones. Well, I thought of Columbine. I thought of all yeah. these things we've dealt with. So you're as an administrator over your last you know, 10, 15 years, and, and first of all, as a teacher, how much has it changed in the things that we're dealing with now as a te- as teachers and administrators, how much has all that changed and changed your vision as a, as an administrator?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that the emotional burdens that our kids are carrying around are greater than the adults understand. They're greater than I understand all the time. Like when I talk to kids and you recognize that, you know, we've been talking about for a long time, it was like, oh, anxiety, depression, that's just an excuse. Now we're seeing kids that absolutely, this is the world they live in. They fight it every single day. Um, we've had kids hospitalized for a variety of mental um, health concerns. We are watching kids that are being kind of put in the center of the home in terms of they're working, they're helping mom and dad pay bills and in our demographic that's not been the case. Um they're getting pulled out of school to take care of brothers and sisters because mom lost her day job and now works nights and somebody has to pick the kids up at the school. We haven't seen that in this particular community. Um I just think they're carrying heavier loads than than what we what we know. Right, And because they're not so open and so willing to share, you don't, you don't always recognize that. They, I've talked to kids and said, well, what, you know, why didn't you tell someone? And they, they have this real thing about well, it's none of their business. So mm-hmm. when I tell my teacher I couldn't get my homework done, they, they, and there's a legitimate reason, right? They're not willing to share always what that reason is. Um, there it's just, that's what I'm finding at least they, they, they're like, well, that's my business. And I'm thinking, well, if the adult knew, they probably would be willing to help you a little more, Mm -hmm. but there's this little bit of disconnect there. Um, I was talking to a couple of teachers that have traveled with kids for years and they noticed the same thing that increasingly it used to be that, you would be right in the middle of the kid conversation, and over the years, the kids are having a conversation, and the adults are in another circle, and that's a real change that that has just been real gradual.
0: I think students now they're just they just have grown up so much, but they're still kids. Like they're mentally, still they're kids. still kids. They don't know how to ask an adult for help, and they yep. don't know how to work through stress, and they don't you
3: know they don't they don't know those things. And but so they're
1: they... exposed to very real adult situations yes. far yeah. more frequently.
3: So I'm curious, Melinda. So you mentioned how kids have changed and, and what are they more sophisticated? Are they, I tend, to, it's funny cause I, I tend to disagree. I look at my own two kids and I think they're, they're mature in real, a lot of ways, but there's also real night. They're real naive about a lot of different things as far as work ethic, things, things of that nature, interpersonal skills, those kinds of things. You mentioned, mentioned parents and I go back to probably, well, the three of us, probably not him, but the way we were raised, there was a lot more autonomy. We kind of figured it out on their own and I think parents are more involved, but I also think they're much more disconnected. And you kind of mentioned that a little bit. I mean, do you think that's the case? They're looking out for their their, their students or their kids, their well-being, but are they really involved in their education and their their their, uh, their maturity and all those kinds of things? I mean, I know it's a tough question to answer, but I, I'm, I'm curious.
1: Some are and some aren't. One of the things we've noticed um, during the last two years with COVID is – you know, we talk about the emotional burden of kids. I think that we've got adults that are carrying around just as heavy burdens and they're exhausted. And so uh, this this is a great example. I talked to a math teacher. This was just last week. And we were talking about the failure rate in one of our levels of math. And he said, you know, it's interesting. Two years ago, I would have gotten phone calls with every kid that failed. And this year I didn't get a single one. And I was like, whoa, That is telling, especially for this community. We do have very involved parents, but I think they're exhausted. And so they're they're a little little probably more checked out than I would like them to be, quite honestly. Um, I think their kids need them. But at the same time, I would never want to say, like, you know, we have bad parents because that's just not the case. I think we have really exhausted parents, quite honestly. And then... Because this is just my own like guess, it's really speculation. Um, we rely so heavily on technology. So, like, we use um, Infinite Campus to communicate grades and Google Classroom, and we we relied so heavily on that that there's also a disconnect between teachers making phone calls home to give parents a like, hey, the red flag, right? Like, your kid did not do well, and I'm really concerned about how they're going to perform in my course. When I was in the classroom, and it's been 12 years. I make phone calls home on a regular basis, and I have a um, large group of teachers who are very young that are really afraid to make phone calls home, and, and, and that's kind of the, the line was, well, they've, they've got plenty of information because we use Infinite Canvas, and they have Google Classroom, and they can see, and I grade immediately, but that personal piece is critical, I think, to engaging parents. Um, just another human on the end of the line saying, I'm really worried about your kid. What can we do? How can I support? That's huge for a parent, especially an exhausted parent. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the rub is the educators are exhausted too. And so what do you do when you have all these groups of people who are just tired?
2: Well, and I think too, not just tired. Um, you mentioned we have a lot of young teachers on campus. Um, and this is coming from somebody who's not that old myself, but come on, come on, (laughs) you know, come on. But, um, but I think we do also have to acknowledge that um, the generation we're talking about in students is starting to creep into. Oh, our, very true. They're also becoming our educators at this point. Yeah, very um, true. And so some of the same um, cultural things that they've grown up with and maybe some of those, you know, um, you know, uh, lack of skills in, in communicating, especially difficult conversations. Um, maybe it's a difficult conversation or call home or whatever. Um, that's I think we're also seeing that.
1: Oh, I, you are spot on. And I hadn't really even considered that. And now I'm thinking like, yeah, you're the generation that will break up with people over text messages. Correct. <laughs> that may have an impact. Like right. really, right? Is that, that those face-to-face conversations, if you're not trained in how to do that outside of your you know, professional world, mm-hmm. that might be a whole new...
2: And so principles like going forward, and, yeah. and obviously everyone in every industry, but... Principals going forward may want to consider that when they're doing trainings and stuff like that.
1: No, that's great insight. Honestly, Marcus, that's really great insight because it is true. And we're also in this weird evolution where I can't remember what the age is, right? Where the kids all of a sudden like didn't know or didn't not know what a smartphone is, Mm -hmm. right? Like we've surpassed that now. So they've always had smartphones in their hands where you've got parents who I I remember my first smartphone. (laughs) That's scary, right? That's how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let
2: me me put it to you this way. This is funny. The other day I was doing a, this is a little bit off topic, but I've always done this Twitter activity. It's not really on Twitter. It's on the whiteboard, but they're supposed to design a Twitter page and it's for enlightenment philosophers anyways. And they, they do this thing. And I said, Hey, you know, all right, we're going to do this Twitter activity. You're going to design a Twitter page. And they looked at me and I'm like, what? And they're like, we don't know what Twitter looks like. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know what Twitter looks like? That's like the young, you know, that's what like, and you know what they said? They said Twitter's for old people who want to argue about politics. Yep. (laughs) You got to do Snapchat, man. Yes, you got (laughs) to.
1: Isn't that great? But
2: that's how quickly it's changed.
1: Yes, well because I was doing this five
2: years ago. Yeah,
1: well it used to be Facebook was for old people and Twitter was for all the hipsters, right? Well, apparently I'm not open to Snapchat. That's a scary world. I say
3: we all go back to MySpace. I think it's Meta now, isn't it? Tumblr, (laughs) (laughs) Tumblr, yeah, Tumblr. We'll have
1: blogs. I don't don't know know what half this is.
3: (laughs) All right, so. Linda, the one thing we you've touched on, and I think we're, you know, want to narrow it down. So over the last two years with COVID, and that's a huge question. How is it? How has it impacted students and staff, and probably more importantly, you know, the insight? Because I think you can pull back the curtain a little bit as an administrator. What are some of the things that nobody sees you do as far as dealing with all the issues of COVID?
1: Oh, COVID specifically the number of conversations that I've had to kind of massage the message, like when we were trying to, when we had a mask mandate and we had everybody wearing masks, right? Trying to massage the message that this was a mandate, that we were expected to follow it. I understand you don't agree, but here at Highland, we have to have your student wearing a mask. Just, I can't even tell you how many conversations I had. It wasn't, the teachers thought one thing, which was please ask kids to pull up their mask, but they didn't see the number of conversations that took place either in my office or over the phone or through email. Like it was just, it was unbelievable actually. Um, and I I remember being really naive at the beginning of the school year and I was like, our kids are really overall very good and very compliant. They've always been that way. So a teacher was like, what do I do if I don't? And I was like, well, of course they're going to wear a mask. You're just going to ask them to, and it'll be fine. And we found out that was not the case. Mm-hmm. Um so I mean that was one of them. It's just the number of conversations I think, um, and then one of the things I think they don't see is I, I told I told one of my my bosses the other day. I'm like I have pretty much spent the year counseling and mothering and not done a lot of instructional leadership. And it's been a lot of just trying to get people to the next day because they're so tired and they're not necessarily tired just because of like the drain of, you know, working. It's all the other things. It's all of a sudden their personal lives are really hard. There are things happening, you know, outside the walls of this building that are exhausting to them. The constant barrage of news, and just doom and gloom news, I think that impacts people. So they're walking in a little bit lower than they would be anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um I think that's probably more than like that's kind of been my job the last couple of years is just trying to keep people moving forward.
0: What advice do you have for people who are contemplating getting into the field of education or moving into administration? Because you can oh, speak to both. So
1: I say do it. Um, even as difficult as it is to be an educator. It's, it's the best job. It, it honestly is. You have the ability to impact kids in such a positive way. You have the ability to be involved in a community of people that's unlike any other. If you're thinking about you know moving from teaching into administration, I would say have your eyes open when you make that leap. It's a ton of work. Um, I always tell people it's the best hard job that you can possibly have. I, I just look back over my years as an educator, and there are so many of like the best memories I have that have been created around a school or because something happened in a classroom or I had this experience with a group of, honestly, a group of parents that there's just not another, there's not another field like it. And I, I'm convinced there's not another place that you can have such an impact on who a kid becomes. You know, I always say, like, everybody had a teacher. I mean, no matter who they are, they had a teacher. And how cool is it to, to get to be that person, right? to to somebody who grows up and does great things in the
0: world. Melinda, thanks for joining us today.
1: You're very welcome. It was awesome to talk to you guys. All right.
0: Thanks for joining us, everybody. And be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at at Podcast. Until next time, stay curious.